then monopolizing the word mansplaining. We are here to provide relief from the drone of men explaining to women how to be a proper lady. And instead, we are here to tell you how to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity in pop culture. I'm Brittany Meredith. And I'm Kay Grossman. I am sick and therefore sound like Diane Reem, which is my radio hero. So I'm looking pretty happy today. How are you doing, Kay? I'm doing great. Um, can't complain, can't complain. Not sick, don't sound like anyone. Um, by the way, guys, you're going to get a whole treat. I can't wait for you guys. You guys are going to hear me as my voice drops. So uh, look forward to that, dear listeners. Is it going to be like puberty it's exactly like puberty. i'm so excited it's just gonna be it's acne and sleeping all the time all of it and eating everything it is the worst i know and i am voluntarily putting myself through that again so kate's about to go through puberty yeah so got that to look forward to dear listeners and as uh we get another installment of this episode on the man i want to be or don't want to be in the case of highlander so Okay, before we start talking about Highlander proper, um, because Highlander has kind of an aura, uh, a, a cultural following. Fun fact, Nick Offerman's favorite film. He thinks it teaches you everything you need to know about masculinity. Who is that? Uh, Nick Offerman. Why Parks- are you mad at me? What did I do? Parks and Recreation. Uh, Ron-, Ron Swanson. Oh, say, okay. Also on Making It, which yeah. is a delightful show. <laughs> so so as soon as you said that, I was like, have Parks and Rec, sure, whatever. But, I was, but you told me who he was, and I was like, oh, he's the unfunny guy on Making It. He's the I watched all of that in one day because I loved it so much. But I remember, like, Ryan always laughing at things that he did. And I, I just turned. I was like, am I missing something? None of this is funny to me. Um, not saying that Ron Swanson isn't funny. You have to be a man to understand the humor. Oh, 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 it makes sense now. It makes sense now. Um... So, Kay, what, like, before you watching the movie, what was your impression of the Highlander fandom? Uh, before watching the movie? Yes. Um, the only real knowledge I had of Highlander was the quote, there can only be one. Yeah, and that was, that was it. That That's was it. All That's you all had. I had. Never seen it. Didn't even really understand the premise. I mean, to be fair, no one understands the premise, including the creators of the movie and the TV show, of which I've watched all of them. So let's start out with, uh, this movie is a, a classic of the sword and sorcery genre. So Highlander tells the story of a group of immortals, um, which are, as the name implies, people that can't die, only men, exclusively men, it appears, that can't die, um except by getting killed by beheading. And it focuses specifically on the immortal Connor McLeod and his nemesis, the Kurgan. Um, And they battle throughout the movie, taking place in everywhere from 16th century Scotland to modern-day New York. Um, They battle for the prize, and the prize is ultimate power. Is that what the prize is? It's a sense of oneness with the world. Guys, listen. I've watched this movie... I watched the sequel. I watched the third one. I watched the end game. I've watched the anime because they made an anime for it. I've watched the series. I'm not clear about what the prize is. So basically the prize <laughs> enables the winner to gain unlimited knowledge of the universe. And the reason that it's so important that McLeod win the prize is that the Kurgan, his nemesis, 
will use that power to usher in an eternal dark age. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I would like to point out that Brittany has seen this movie probably a dozen times, and she's only now clear on some key plot points. (laughs) That's where we're at with this movie. (laughs) Okay, listen. So... There's a lot of confusing elements about this movie, which we'll get into later. But first, I want to get into the stuff that I love. Uh, just so you know, uh, Highlander was made in 1986. The budget was $16 million, And my theory is that it was mostly just for the cars because they had a lot of cars blowing up. So the director was Russell... I can say this word. How do you think that said? Uh, just mm, mm, gun to the head. How do you think that last that last name said? Russell Mulcahy. Okay. Now that we have that covered. So the director was Russell McKay, and he actually did a lot of music videos, which makes sense after you watch the movie, because it's basically just like a lot of kind of boring action with like a stellar soundtrack in the back. Uh, Queen did the soundtrack. Queen. Well, OK, so here's the interesting thing. Highlander did not actually have an official soundtrack. The official soundtrack was a Queen album, which was released that included. And then like there were some like um uh, tracks on the in the movie that wasn't released on the album um but anyway you would think watching the movie because it was so excellent most of the songs were actually written by uh the guitarist brian mays yes i i watched bohemian rhapsody and i got really into queen for a week and i went through the entire discography and i got so into queen that somehow on my computer, there's now notifications every time any article about Queen is released and it just pops up on my computer. I don't know how to stop it. I'm rambling. The point yes. is Highlander did not have a soundtrack. It was just Queen. And that makes sense because this guy was a music video director. Um, my one fact that I thought was really interesting as I was researching is this movie was written by Gregory Wilden. And he wrote it as an undergrad. Which makes me feel very bad about my college choices. Uh, mm, have you watched the movie? Because... Point. (laughs) It strikes me as an undergrad film, to be honest with you. There was like a lot of things different that I'm not going to go into because it's boring, much like this film. But it was also by Canon Group, um, which made like the American Ninja series is really, really good. And also Bloodsport. Canon, just a really 30-second reminder, is was a, a porn company. And it then uh, kind of formed into a action film company where they would just like kind of churn out these really bad action films and get a lot of money from it. Okay. Um, what were your first thoughts? I, I can't say I enjoyed this film. I enjoyed learning about it after the fact and some of the ways that this movie was changed in some of the ways that it could have been, I think would have made a much more interesting movie. But the movie itself, as it stood, uh, it was a struggle bus for me. What about you? So I um, I want to start with my earliest memory of Highlander, which is not of the movie, but of the critically acclaimed Golden Globe nominee, Highlander the series. And I was watching it with my dad at a very young age, and in the, like, pilot, The Gathering, Duncan McCloud is having uh, sexual intercourse with his um, wife. And there is a towel. And I go, Papa, why is there a towel there? That doesn't seem very effect- effective when you're having the sex. 
And he, he tells me, Brittany, you'll learn when you're older. And I'm 28 now. And I still don't know why there was a towel. I actually, fun fact, convinced Whitney for all of five minutes that that was a normal sex thing, that everyone had their own sex towel. Um, she believed me, which tells you something about the sexual education of Whitney Meredith. I was so confused. She goes, you don't have a sex towel. And I go, no, why is there a sex towel? Like, generally, you can keep it pretty clean. And this is a kid-friendly podcast. And oh, it's not. <laughs> anyway, so that's my first... Um, memory um, of Highlander my second memory would be um and I, I honestly forgot until I saw the sword within the movie is we had the Highlander catalog come to our house um a lot and my dad he ordered like Connor McLeod's like samurai sword um and he would often tr- it was what he used to trim our willow tree in the backyard is that he would <laughs> He would put on, so like there was a very brief period of time where my stepdad took like taekwondo classes. So, you know, like the big white pants that they wear. The gi. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Maybe G. I forget. Sure. I don't know. Anyway, he would only wear the pants portion, not the top, but he would go back in our backyard. And my dad is not a fit person. Like, I don't want you to think, I don't want to, I don't want to represent this moment incorrectly. But he has a very big beer gut, even though he doesn't drink beer because that would require him to like his steaks like rare and like have opinions that are good about food or liquids. And he would use the samurai sword to cut the willow tree in front of all of our neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) So those are my my fond childhood memories of Highlander. Anyway, this movie is really boring, and um, there were a lot of plot holes, and it wasn't, like, listen, I watch a lot of bad movies, and I think they're fun. I think they're so fun, and usually, like, I'm along on that journey with the main character, and I'm, like, I'm wanting him to win, unless he's a jerk, and then I just want him to die, but I'm with them, and this, I just didn't care. Yeah, I think, I think that was the thing, is, like, most of these movies, I have opinions on. I have opinions capital o but i just i struggled to keep my attention on this one but that being said i think that it provided some good content to talk about oh Um, yeah we got like a good three pages of shit to talk about so buckle up um so let's start with uh the women in this film so there are count them five women in this film uh one is his one is duncan mcleod's first lover not duncan connor 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 McLeod. Duncan is his cousin or some shit. I fuck. I just it's it's absurd. I I want to rewatch the series because I'm sure like the way that they're actually related is bullshit. Oh, certainly. Um, they're all kinsmen. Yeah, which like kinsmen covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so is that does that mean they're family? Yes. Okay. Hey, so the first one was his wife. The second, I think yeah, not necessarily ahead. wife, lover. Lover. They made a dick joke. So they were apparently having sex. Um, so they, first one is his lover. The second one is his actual wife. Uh, third is a prostitute. Fourth is, a, is Brenda, the love interest. And finally, his assistant, Rachel. 
Okay, can we? I, w- I want to start off with Rachel because one of the changes. So they they had a difference. Um, we actually I think watched, watched the, the European version. We did watch the European version because there are some things that were edited out for the American version that they didn't get, think that they would get. Like for instance, like a two minute scene where like two clansmen were just like butting heads with one another. Anyway. Rachel is the weirdest fucking relationship. So as we said, this film shows a lot of flashbacks throughout Connor McLeod's life. And one of the flashbacks is how he met Rachel, who turns out to be his assistant. His... Rachel is a young girl he rescues from World War II. Great, nice, lovely. They stay in con- clearly they stay in contact throughout um, their life, and he she becomes his assistant and one of the only people that knows the secret of his immortality. However, however, there's also a scene where she comes over, kisses him, talks about how lonely he must be, and how much she, how much he must need a lover, and oi boy. I just wrote daddy in all capital letters and then moved on very uncomfortably. It was basically like the Jay-Z and Beyonce of relationships. Like she was, I mean, it's a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, Beyonce was like 16 and like Jay-Z was like probably 40 or something. Um, But the girl was like eight and he was um, immortal. There was a lot of weird questions I have about that. But it's, like, passed off as, like, totally normal and okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she's just another woman that establishes something about his character without having any character herself. But let's go on to some of the other women. So let's talk about how all these women serve the same purpose to advance Connor's storyline. So the main uh, woman is Brenda. um, And she actually comes off as, like, (laughs) <laughs> okay this bitch has layers i was going to try to figure out like a different way to say it so brenda was investigating the beheading that happened at the wrestling ring um it, and they find a sword at the crime scene and she just bust out with some supreme sword knowledge about how this is like worth sixty thousand dollars and like a million dollars a million that's like two million in 1986 time pretty sure that's how economics works and at how like it's an ancient sword and all this other stuff and you're like how do you bitch how do you know that yeah like did you just wikipedia this like the internet did not exist then i don't think how does she know this and then later it's revealed that she's actually a like prof- not a professor she wrote a book about yeah swords. she's a she's an internationally acclaimed scholar of metallurgy, especially when it comes to ancient sword making, and also a forensic police detective. Okay, just go on it. Um, it Brenda's initial interest and in her initial connection to Connor McCloud is that she's investigating this crime scene, but really, for own purposes, she's so interested in this sword that they're finding fragments of because it's a 6th century Japanese sword made with medieval technique so her her research curiosity is sparked um which connor is upset at because connor is only interested in brenda staying out of his way so yeah it kind of you know connor's main problem with brenda is that he he views her as selfish because she's getting in the way of this little battle that he has with mr k guy and at even at one point in the movie he says you think 
you only think about what you want, which like, this is what I love about Brenda. She's a really complex lady, right? Girl has layers. She's not one note. And she's also very, very stubborn, which I can relate to. And then, you know, it's supposed to be like this insult that he's like, you only care about what you want. And I'm like, yeah, go girl. Only care about what you want. Who cares about this guy? Right. He doesn't even have a good haircut. It's literally so distracting how bad the haircut is. And it kind of like reinforced this idea that like women are supposed to be selfless and like really their whole purpose in life is to really just benefit men. Um, And then in the brief moment that they aren't, you know, they're supposed to be chastised like a little girl, which like she literally is like he chastises her like she's an ignorant girl. I don't know. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I didn't like the relationship and supposedly they become lovers for a while and then he breaks up with her because it's too dangerous. It's, their relationship is problematic, capital P. Um, and I think it, it kind of talks about like the larger theme that we're seeing with like these women in the movies, right? Um, which is like the women aren't their own right? Like they are not their own person. They do not have autonomy over their own body or their own decisions. Like they're literally just used as plot devices um, and like used for the benefit of men. And you can especially see that in terms of what happens with her storyline at the end, right? Is, you know, at the beginning, she starts as this like really, really powerful woman who's like investigating this murder and literally it's dropped halfway through the story. Yeah, she no longer is interested in the sword for the sword's sake. She's no longer interested in solving this murder. It just all ends. And she becomes his wife slash lover after he wins the prize and loses all of her character and her autonomy and all the things that make her a compelling character. And it's not the only way that we see this theme within the movie, too. We see it with Heather as well. Yeah, so Heather is his first wife. His first wife, who gets more screen time, I think, probably than than Brenda. Um, so his first wife, back in the 16th century Scotland, they have an adorable love story where she teaches him about how immortals can't love mortal women as she dies in his arms um, as an old woman. They love each other deeply. However, one of the things that is upsetting about this movie is, like all women, she's she ends up being raped. So the Kurgan comes in and rapes her as a way of asserting his dominance over, um, over one of the men in the movie. Like, she doesn't tell him about this rape. Like, she literally keeps it a secret. And it's not until modern time where Mr. K comes to defeat um, Mr. McLeod that he's like, yeah, I got your girl. And and the specific language that is used was what was really interesting to me, right? Is Mr. K asked, sorry, we forgot to mention the Egyptian who was named after a Spaniel, Spaniard that was... Amiras. Yeah, Amiras that was uh, played by... Uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. He was talking about, you know, very Star Wars style. Um, Mr. K ended up like beheading him, right? And... Uh, Sean Connery is the person that taught Connor McLeod all that he knows. And um, he goes, I thought he was, I thought she was his, but she was actually yours and uses this like language of ownership. Um, and then also uses this idea that his body 
that that her body was Connor's as a way to insult him as though he stole from him um which is so troubling and something that I've seen in so many movies that it's honestly boring to me yeah and you see this echoed in modern times when the Kurgan takes Brendan a joyride throughout the city on kidnaps her and takes her um in a car just through the city just dangerously she's screaming um kind of a similar similar sort of actual taking of her autonomy away from her the same as it's not an actual physical rape scene but it is there's some emotional depth there of what he is taking from her and how he's delighting in her fear and I think I am so bored with it just because we see this trope so often. You see it in Game of Thrones. I, I only say that because that was literally like the line that I drew with Game of Thrones. It was like, oh, another woman getting raped for effort of a plot line for the man to realize something. Or, or to motivate him. Or to motivate him or to advance the plot. or And it's just like I'm tired of rape. One, I'm tired of rape being about how it affects others instead of like the actual person that it impacts because it, 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 I feel like it lessens the severity of it. Yeah. I mean, it becomes about the people outside that are affected and it becomes less about the woman being raped and more about what is this motivating a man or someone else to do? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a cheap plot device. It is. It's super cheap. And, and it. I think it's honestly, it's it's evidence of, one, a man writing it. And it's evidence of just, like, poor writing. Like, really uncreative. Yeah, if you can't motivate the man, the, the protagonist, to act without raping his woman, what good are you as a writer? Yeah, exactly. So transitioning a little bit away from the sole role of women... One thing that really, really uh, interests me is Kay kind of let me know about the historic, like, meaning of the quickening, which I thought was really interesting. So in the film, the quickening is what the immortals feel after they kill another immortal. Um, It's an absorption of power. But historically, the use of the word quick technically trans relates to alive and the idea of birth a woman the quickening was when a woman knew her child that she was carrying was alive um so much so that a miscarriage or an abortion before that time wasn't considered a crime it was just a thing that happened um so the quickening is once the child was alive in the womb which I thought was just kind of interesting uh, that like basically an entire male cast would like really reclaim this word that was traditionally a woman's word to explain like this consumption of power, right? I, I just really like taking ownership of like a woman's word to mean... I think uh, we're just taking ownership of a woman's word to talk about what it means for this this man's absorption of power. It's, it's really interesting. And I don't know that it says anything about gender worlds, but I do think it's... And an important deliberate choice on the part of the filmmaker. I do want to talk a little bit more about the quickening because that shit's wild. Um, but before we do, I have uh, I, I kind of want to share my favorite part about the Highlander franchise. So Highlander 2 came out in 1991. The esteemed year of my birth. Presumably the writers watched 
Highlander won, but they thought that all of that was bullshit. So they took all of it away. Um, and they then progressed and said, you know, these immortals, because the, the reason why immortals exist is never explained in Highlander 1. So to provide a reason for that in Highlander 2, they made them aliens, which is really cool. And uh, see, they, they were transplanted from the planet Zeist. Uh-huh. Um, and because of how massively it contradicted the film, uh, eventually that part was like edited out and we don't see any mention of Zeist at all except for them like vaguely stating that immortals descended from this like distant earth past so they had to retcon their own film isn't it beautiful that bad yeah it's so good so it's it's really good like a little bit more about the quickening too is like so all of the stories and everything about the quickening is so inconsistent and the series really takes a deep dive into um the quickening and so, instead of explaining this to you, I'm just going to read this section about black quickening from the Wikipedia page. A buildup quickenings from evil mortals can overwhelm even the best of immortals and lead to a dark quickening. The dark quickening draws out the darker elements of an immortal's psyche until they become evil themselves. In season four, episode 13 of Highlander, an immortal Native American named Coltec. Mm. who took it upon himself to rid the world of evil by killing as many evil immortals as he could, was eventually overwhelmed by the dark quickening. Duncan MacLeod was forced to kill his friend and was himself overwhelmed. Duncan then went on a rampage in Paris, ending with the beheading of another old friend, Sean Burns. Burns was known as one of the wisest and most peaceful of the immortals, and his quickening subdued the dark quickening long enough for Methos to take Duncan to a long-forgotten healing spring where Duncan was able to vanquish his darkness. The fuck? The fuck. Before we end, I want to talk about how super gay Highlander is. How super gay it is. So the entire process of this immortal activity of the Highlander seems immensely gay. And... It's just a delight for me to talk about it. So um, you've got two men, and they're always men, um, swinging around these incredibly large, sharp phallic objects to determine who is best at swinging around their sharp penises. And then as soon as the head of the lesser male is cut off, then the person who is better at playing with his dick gets to have a large electric orgasm, also known as the quickening, which is just possessing their knowledge and power. It's amazing how gay this is. Yeah, it's so gay, which is why it's so interesting to me that this movie incorporates some rando, unnecessary homophobia. Well, I think it's I think it's like literally the no homo. I want you to talk about it a little bit, but then we're going to say it's basically the no homo punctuation mark for this movie. So in the beginning, when Connor is being interrogated for the crime of beheading another immortal, a crime he did commit, but makes no mention of later in the film. Um, <laughs> the, one of the detectives comes in and says something to the effect of, oh, you probably went down to the parking garage just to get a blowjob, and then when you didn't want to pay, you cut off his head. Okay. 
It's like, um, I'm sorry, you just spent two... Okay, the men in this audience watching this film has just spent two hours watching guys throw around their metaphorical dicks at each other. But then just, we need this little just insertion of some random homophobia. Homophobia that gets Connor to take action and gets Connor to express emotion and get angry. Because of course he'd be angry. So I think that itself, like, these were the questions that kind of left me with this. Um, So one of the questions I had is, like, what is the meaning of the quickening? And what does it say about masculinity? It's this, like, large electric orgasm in which they're getting, like, all of this power. For me, a lot of it kind of has to do with this, like, craving for power um, among men, right? Um, This like idea of it's like a, a cutthroat world right there could only there there can be only one right um this idea of like the alpha man right yeah that's i'd buy that yeah so you know the most powerful man who can consume the same amount of power and still be composed right is the most manly well he gain he he gains power from each quickening he experiences and each quickening makes him a better stronger immortal that is a better stronger man yeah and and I think the larger question that I kept asking myself as I was struggling to stay awake from this boring ass movie is like what do people men specifically like what do they get out of this movie right what makes it relatable to them like this was a movie that inspired a tv series like five movies one successful video game and two failed ones. So like, what do they get out of this? What What is so appealing about this franchise? And that's a good question because frankly, I don't know. I think that there's something that says about power and something that says about masculinity. But as far as Connor himself, Connor is one of the better heroes we've seen. He's tender. He can love. He has boundaries and he's not the worst or most unwise man we've seen. Maybe he's a, not a bad role model to look up to. So um, that's the end of our new mansplaining. Thank you for going on this wild ride, which was The Highlander. Look forward to the next episode, which will be moving forward about, oh, wow, 30 years as we examine John Wick. We'd like to thank Kenny Kenny Oo for the use of our theme song, Add 60 seconds to the Betchdel test. Uh, check out our social media page on the Facebook. Um, or find us at Mansplaining Pod at, on Twitter or mans, just Mansplaining on Facebook. All right. See you later. Yeah.